Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we make you better at doing hard things. Today, another awesome episode lined up for you. I'm having a chat with Brando Yelovich, who is a young dude from New Zealand starting to make the mark on the world as an explorer. When he was 19, he became the first person to circumnavigate the coastline of New Zealand on foot. It took him 600 days, it was an 8,700 kilometer expedition, and it changed every aspect of his life. Before, he was just an ordinary person doing less than ordinary things, and he woke up one day after a big night out with his mates, and it was like a switch had been flicked in his head. He wanted to do extraordinary things in his life, so he did. And since then, he's become a best-selling author, a motivational, inspirational speaker, and a full-time explorer. He was on the expedition with Hollywood House across Greenland. He's done a 70-day kayak circumnavigation of Vancouver Island, been into the Nepalese Himalayas on an aid expedition, and a 33-day trip around Stewart Island. The next one that he has lined up is a crossing across Australia, widest point to widest point, uh, which is, is super exciting. Today is a really interesting conversation with Brando about what goes on for him on these expeditions, how he picks them, how he gets through the hard times, and builds confidence in himself. Thank you guys so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. I'm sure that you're going to enjoy this one. Brando, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to have a chat with me today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's uh, lovely to be here virtually. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's a nice uh, virtual date. Mate, I like to start things off just by asking people a couple of background questions. Where were you born? Where, uh, where did you grow up? I was born uh, here in New Zealand. I was born in uh, Auckland and the North Shore Hospital and spent most of my childhood growing up uh, on the North Shore before I, I guess I hit that age where you get a vehicle and suddenly Auckland's not this fun place anymore. It's a place you sit in a lot of traffic <laughs> and um, disappeared off out down into central Otago where I spent, I guess, the majority of my teenage years in the mountains and snowboarding, mountain bike riding, all that sort of stuff. So I guess until I was about 16, I didn't really have a huge connection with the outdoors. I was, um, yeah, a bit of a gamer, a bit of a, a homebody. Mm, interesting. And did your family move to central Otago or how did you end up there from the North Shore? Oh, the easiest way to put it is my family moved me to central Otago. <laughs> I went to boarding school, a school called Cromwell College. I went there and studied an outdoor, outdoor education program on the weekends and then just a, a normal school during the week. And what, what prompted that? I guess like, I, I wasn't the easiest child growing up in terms of my behavior I was all over the show with my emotions and it was pretty tough on my parents they they did everything they could to give me the best childhood but I suffer from ADHD and as I guess a lot of people that potentially are listening who have ADHD or have kids that have ADHD you know we can be a handful on one hand we're a breath of fresh air in everyone's lives and on the other hand it's like toxic <laughs> toxic chemicals coming on in so yeah, I had a, a pretty troubled upbringing because of that and uh, always fighting with my mental mental health. When I reached like 16, I just got uh, too much to handle, I guess, and was given the 
the option of boys home or boarding school and boarding school was the obvious option uh, so yeah I left home at 16 to I guess hopefully create a better version of myself um, and that's when the roller coaster really started. <laughs> mm. So what um going from the North Shore to Cromwell is a is a bit of a change besides the geographic change what changes did you notice in yourself at that time you know well it was it was really interesting I would uh when I was in school I was like the emo kid you know the kid that had black hair piercings in his lips and his eyes big stretches in my ears I was a, a very kind of out there uh, alternative kind of person and when I went down to Central Otago I went to like country school you know Cromwell College I went from a decile 10 school to a decile 1 school overnight it was very culture shocking you know most of the kids they, they had mullets and they wore gumboots to school and here's me I had some fancy high tops some skinny jeans and I wore my hair like the OG Justin Bieber but yeah I guess the physical differences between the two places were very, very real. In some ways, it was really good. You know, I, I was seeing a whole different style of life. And, you know, it was a, a side of life that I didn't not like. It was just a side of life I'd never experienced. Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the cool things eh, about stepping out of your, your geographic bubble and, and going and experiencing different areas. And it might be even just different areas in, in your town or your city, but just saying, hey, not everyone does things the way that me and my, my close neighbors do them. Doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just a different way of doing them that, that works for people. Yeah, totally. One of the like big things is I used to get into a lot of fights when I was in school. And I guess the difference between fights is in Auckland, you get into a fight and you get your head stomped after you've been knocked out. Whereas down there, you know, you get into a fight and then you get up and you shake hands. <laughs> so that was a that was a huge difference for me was um, just that, uh, I guess, the culture around that side of stuff was so prolific for me because that's the kind of person that I was, you know, I was always either annoying someone or uh, being annoyed by someone. So that was yeah, another huge culture shock for me. Mm. Post high school, what did you go into from there? You know, high school, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good time for me and it caused me to rebel and to not want to be there. I used to wag class and, and when I left, uh, I kind of left because I, I was sick and tired of school rather than because I finished and uh, came back up to Auckland, had no friends as such when I came back because I'd been away for so long. So I instantly fell into the crowd of uh, crime. So not, I instantly fell into the crowd of people that like to do less than savory things. I started smoking a lot of weed and, and doing drugs and, you know, I started having a really, really good time much to the, the expense of myself and my body, which at the time I didn't realize, you know, I was just having a really good time. And it was the first time really that I, I'd realized that throughout school and throughout all my education, I had never once been told that drugs were fun. <laughs> and suddenly here I was having the time of my life. Didn't think there was anything wrong with it for, for quite a while. What changed in terms of when did you come to the realization that, hey, this isn't, this isn't the path that I want to go down? Yeah, I think I was pretty lucky. There's a lot of people that are and were on the path that, that I was on. Um, I would wake up in the morning, I would get high. Lunchtime, I'd get high again. Before I went to bed, I'd have to get high or I couldn't sleep. I was constantly 
under the state of intoxication from some form of drug, whether it be the Ritalin, which I was prescribed to, to deal with my ADHD or marijuana or ecstasy. There was, it was just always some drug in my system. You know, now I was on and still am on Ritalin. Um, I was on it my whole life and it is something that helps me manage my ADHD above yeah, anything else. I've tried absolutely everything throughout my childhood and, and even adulthood, but still the bare basics, the chemical is the best thing for me. But as a 17, 18 year old, you know, I was abusing the hell out of that drug. I was snorting it. I was, I was taking too many. I wasn't taking enough. I was taking them at sporadic times, which isn't the way it's designed. And on top of that, I was taking ecstasy and, and, and smoking copious amounts of weed. I guess for me, the, the big defining moment and where I realized that, uh, I guess the underlining thought was, what the hell am I doing? You know, I, I woke up one morning and I felt sick. I felt tired. And, you know, I lived in this one bedroom little apartment with a tiny little window and I was depressed. I was really sad. And to cover that up, I would get high and suddenly that feeling would disappear. I was, I was using something synthetic every single day to make myself feel good. And, you know, my parents are like super anti-drugs. They're like, no way, don't do drugs. They never have. I think my mum might have touched marijuana once in her life and she, she said she threw up. <laughs> so they're, they're very much PC parents and that's what I was raised to believe. So, you know, my parents didn't raise me to be this, this hindrance to society and this hindrance to myself. Like they didn't raise me to smoke drugs and, and party every day and drink lots of alcohol. Uh, so I guess it was always inside me to to be a different person than I'd become. I'd just kind of gone off the rails. And uh, I realized that after a big night with my mates and just decided it was time to change. You know, it was time to, to follow a new path because I wasn't happy. And something that I've discovered later is when you're not happy with something in your life, you just change it. You know, it's as simple as that. You're unhappy, so do something different. Do something that makes you happy. And I guess from that moment forward, that's what I've always done. At times, it's been at the expense of others, but you know now it's definitely it's not. And with that change, Brando, was that like flicking a switch for you, or was that hey, I want to change? Actually, I need to have a couple of cracks at this to make the change stick. You know the way the ADHD mind works, it's like there's no such thing as drawing things out. There's like switches, lots and lots of switches that are constantly being flicked on and off, and it was as simple as flicking a switch. You know, I went cold turkey on all the drugs the next day. I stood up on my bed with all my friends and I said, in, in 2013, I'm going to walk around New Zealand. And they laughed at me and they said, I was stupid and whatever, bro, whatever. And But the next day, you know, I made a Facebook page. I started advertising it. I invited all my friends to it. I told them to invite their friends to it because I was going to change my life. I was going to become a new person. And and I did. I just stopped on on the spot. And that was... You know, that's that ADHD mind that has taken over. Uh, there's like ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but it's not a disorder. You know, there's, there's two sides to look at it. I can be hyperactive, but that can also turn into hyperfocus. And the moment I had my idea set on walking around New Zealand, it was like this hyperfocus took over my body and there was absolutely nothing that was going to stop me from changing my life because that's what I wanted. And, you know, if I want something, I make it happen. Uh, regardless of uh, or nothing gets in my way because if it does I, I find a way to get over it or I find a way to, to rip the wall down and 
and push through. It's just, you know, my brain doesn't have an off switch. Mm, so almost kind of like a superpower in, in that respect. It totally is. Yeah. My, my ADHD superpower, I call it the gift of ADHD. Yeah. Very nice. Brando, I'm, I'm real interested, mate, like walking around New Zealand, it's a pretty monumental task. Why did you pick that as something that was going to be the catalyst to, to help you change your life? You know, I guess it just happened that that was the thing that, that fell into my mind. Like I, I didn't plan to walk around New Zealand for a very long time. It, you know, the best way I can describe it is a curiosity is something that drives a lot of my adventures. And, uh, I remember being at the beach all throughout my youth and the one thing that I was always fascinated about more than anything else was looking in the rock pools and discovering what was in the next one and the next one and the next one and then you get to the end of the beach and you'd look back at mum and dad or whoever was looking after you and then you'd like have to make this decision. Do I walk around the next corner where they can't see me or will I get in so much trouble? So you could never always just keep going. And, and I realized that I wanted to know what was around the next corner and the next one and the next one. And, and that was like a big driving, I guess, thought pattern as I grew up that probably helped shape why I walked around New Zealand. But, you know, the why I chose New Zealand is it's almost impossible to answer because it could have been anything. You know, I was running away from from this crappy life that I created for myself. And the walk around New Zealand just so happened to be the thing that uh, caught my attention and, and I made happen. You know, I talked about walking around New Zealand when I was 16 years old, when I moved down to Cromwell, I had this idea to, to walk around New Zealand because I thought it would be awesome and carry a surfboard, check out of the surf spots. But, you know, like five or six years later when I was 19, suddenly I had this opportunity, you know, I had nothing holding me back except for myself. And that idea could come to life now. And, and so I made it happen. How long was the prep time for you uh, from the decision to actually doing it? I, about four or five weeks. Yeah, five weeks. I, <laughs> it's not, not a lot good. of thought. It was enough time to spend about four hours on Google Maps looking at the coastline in New Zealand and saying, oh, yep, I'll just walk over there and down that bit. And I didn't really plan it. And, you know, I don't actually plan my expeditions very much. You know, I go into them carrying everything that I'll need if shit hits the fan. If something goes wrong, I know that I can get myself out. But I like the uncertainty of expeditions. You know, that's what excites me. The unknown excites me. If I go into something where everything is set out with a schedule and a plan, it's, it's freaking boring. You know, where's the excitement in knowing what you're going to do the next day and the day after that and the day after that, the, the times you're going to stop, the times you're going to rest. Um, obviously, it has its place in some certain expeditions, but, but for me, you know, the excitement is the unknown. Hmm. How have you developed kind of the self-confidence and the self-belief in regards to knowing if you come into a situation that is going to be, is going to be hard or is going to be challenging? that you can get yourself through that safely? Mm, you know, I guess like I have confidence coming out my ears <laughs> and, I, and I guess I always have. And at different points in my life, that's not always been a good thing. I wouldn't say I'm overconfident. I, I'm a pretty good judge of character when it comes to my natural ability. But like that hyper-focus thing, if, if I can see myself in a situation where the easiest way to to describe the way it works in my head is the point at which it's too much would be death. You know, for me, there isn't, there isn't a scale. There's, there's like 
go until the end. Obviously, as I've matured and grown older, I've been able to be like, oh, all right, I'm pretty close to, to death now. I'm going to stop because I don't want to reach it. But there, there, isn't, there isn't a filter. There's just raw, untapped energy. And that's, that's the ADHD. And I mean, you can ask any, any child or adult that has ADHD and they have that same thing. I mean, not everyone, but a large majority of us, we have, we have this untapped, pure, raw energy that just seems to come from nowhere. And yes, there is always a big crash after we do amazing or big things, but you know, that's, that's part of it. So my confidence comes from, it's, it's, it's a natural confidence. It's a chemical that's not being produced in my brain because it was something that, that you know, something that's not happening there. And the best way I can describe ADHD is I'm a dopamine heat-seeking rocket ship. Once upon a time, I was a dopamine rocket ship with no direction, no motivation. But, you know, now I have purpose. I know why I'm doing what I do. I want to inspire people. I want to change lives. And so now I'm a dopamine-seeking or heat-seeking rocket ship. I know exactly where I'm going and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. Awesome, man. And I want to come back to that, that motivation uh, in a little bit. What were the most memorable parts for you around about walking around New Zealand? You know, the most memorable part was being really bloody lonely. <laughs> um, I'm a people person. I, I love to communicate with others. And so the loneliness was all consuming. It was just uh, the hardest part about the whole thing. But I don't want to dwell on the negatives right now. So the best parts of this expedition were definitely the people that I did meet. I say that it was lonely, but I met so many people. And uh, each person that I met, I realized could teach me something uh, quite amazing and astounding about either themselves or about life. And it very quickly became apparent that this journey was the university of life for me. You know, it was my opportunity to learn all the things that, that I had failed to learn when I was growing up. But, but not only that, learn the things that school can't teach you. Those life skills that are way more important than anything. You know, the, the difference between why you live and why you do what you do. And for me, those lessons were far more important. You know, I learned that my will to live comes from being happy. And that's something that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, uh, I just keep, keep doing what I do because I love it. Mm. Awesome, man. And I mean, you've, the, you've had a few more recent expeditions as well. Uh, People were listening a couple of weeks ago. They would have heard our chat with Holly about trekking across Greenland. Uh, you were you were on that same expedition with her. What were the uh, what were the coolest parts of that for you? Uh, you know, the coolest bit about that was seeing how a team team works and the team dynamics. I'd never been a part of a team before that. Uh, it had always, uh, I mean, I'd been part of teams and sports and, and different organizations that I'd been in, but on an expedition, I'd never been a part of a team. For me, I was used to relying on myself to get everything done and to not have to, to, not have to pick up other people's slack if they couldn't manage it themselves. But uh, very quickly, it became apparent that a team is so much more powerful than an individual because things that I wasn't good at, Holly was good at, or Bridget was good at, or Keith was good at, and things that they weren't good at, uh, whether it be with physical capabilities or mental capabilities, I might have been better at. And, you know, all of those small little things were, were really powerful to, to me, not only in the expedition lives that I live, but 
when I came back to the real world, I suddenly realized, you know, I'd been trying to edit all my own little films and, and do all that, but I'm not an editor. Sure, I can shoot some awesome footage, but when it comes back, why would I bother doing something to 60% of my ability when I can pay someone else or find someone else who's passionate about editing and do that, you know? So it taught me in the real world, instead of trying to do everything myself, you know, seek others' wisdom and use others around you. And, you know, it taught me that the wisest person in the world isn't the person doing it themselves. It's the people that are listening to the person and then asking that person for help. Uh, that way there's two minds or three minds or 10 minds that are working on one project. So that, that in Greenland was the most uh, astounding thing that I discovered was the capacity to work as a team and not just, not just be me against the world. I mean, there's, there's benefits in both. But, you know, that was the underlining factor that taught, taught me about something. In terms of physical capability in Greenland, it, I can say that I didn't find it hard. It was, uh, I mean, there were days where I was tired, but, you know, it wasn't a physical challenge for me. It was, it was as simple as dragging a sled every single day, which I didn't find hard. I'm, I'm used to those challenges, but mentally, with no stimulation, I spent a lot of time in my head and... That could have been a bad thing, but very, uh, very thankfully, it wasn't. It gave me some time to really think about what I just explained, you know, that, that those team dynamics and, and how if we all come together to succeed in one common goal, that goal is not only much closer and easier to achieve, but it's been done in a way that's a lot more, enjoying, a lot more enjoyable than if I just pushed through it on my own, you know. Mm, yeah, very, very cool, man. And... I think it's a, this is a, a really great revelation to have. And it's one that I think a lot of people struggle with is that we think that we should be doing all of this ourselves. And if we can't do it ourselves, that there's, there's something wrong with us. But actually, we've all got strengths, we've all got weaknesses. And that teaming up with someone who has a strength in an area that you're weak one, it, it helps you out, but it gives someone else a chance to get excited and do things that they love as well while they're helping you out. So it's a, it's a win-win for everybody asking for help and, and searching out other team members to help you on your journey. You know, it's the best example is this podcast. I want to tell my story. You love doing podcasts. I would struggle to create my own. So uh, this partnership between me and you right now uh, is doing that exact thing. I'm telling my story through uh, your platform and you're getting stoked on the conversation. Mm, well, I hope yeah. you are. <laughs> oh, definitely, mate. Definitely. Yeah, I've got a, this weird fetish for asking people questions. Eh? <laughs> fetish might be a little bit of a strong word. <laughs> anyway, curious. <laughs> Brando, and even more recent challenge that you've done is you've just done a circumnavigation around Vancouver Island as well. How was that one for you? That was uh, different than anything I've ever done before. All of the other expeditions kind of had these underlining goals that were, uh, you know, they were about the physical journey. Greenland was about crossing from one side to the other. New Zealand was about circumnavigating the coastline and I spent some time down on Stewart Island too with, with the same sort of goal to, to go around Stewart Island. That one I actually had to change because, you know, I realized halfway through I wasn't having fun. And that same thing that I tell people, if you're not having fun, change something. So I did. But Vancouver Island, you know, it was about more than the expedition. It was about creating a connection deeper than anything with my partner. 
So it was the first first expedition that uh, she was a part of, and uh, I chose something that she'd never done before, like kayaking, <laughs> and then proceeded to convince her to paddle around Vancouver Island, which, you know, that's something that a lot of sea kayakers would do at absolute high point of their paddling careers. It's it's not a not at all an easy or safe kind of journey. And, you know, I was comfortable and happy with the fact that I had enough skills in a sea kayak to keep us both safe. But at the same time, you know, it was going to be physically, mentally demanding challenge, both on our relationship, but on top of that, you know, on her physical side of it and my physical side on it, because I was now taking on the stress of, of not just keeping myself safe, but keeping the person that I love more than anything in the world safe. And uh, that was a very strange feeling to, to have to kind of get my head, head through, you know. So that journey to Vancouver Island was one of the, the coolest, craziest, most emotional journeys uh, of my entire life. You know, I spent a lot of time crying <laughs> on that journey and uh, really learning things about myself. I can be a dick sometimes. And when I was out there with just uh, me and her, and if I was being a dick, suddenly I couldn't escape. I was actually stuck in a kayak right next to her. So it, it made me realize, you know, all these things that I did, just little tiny things that got on her nerves and, you know, gave me the opportunity to share the things that she did that got on my nerves so that we could work on those. And over 70 days we did and we grew as a couple. And, you know, some of the, the scariest moments on that journey, like I was charged by a grizzly bear and stood my ground, ended up having a bear spray it because, you know, I was worried that it was going to kill me and then go and kill her. And, you know, that was just a, a thing that happened that really created a bond between us. And then there was also another day where we were out on the water and there was like three and a half meter swell, like offshore that was breaking. And it was mental. Like I've never seen waves that big. It was terrifying. And you know, we came around this headland and suddenly we had a headwind on top of that. So it was creating these big stand-up waves that um, it was it was terrifying. Nio could be five meters to my left, but disappeared in the trough of another wave. And uh, I made the call that we had to go and land. So now we're landing on like a rocky reef, like a three and a half meter swell, which, which for me, I knew that I could do, but I knew Nio had no idea what she was doing. And and she was terrified. So I was like managing myself, which was hard enough. And then I had to manage her. When we got to the beach, like thankfully we, we managed to do it without uh, coming out of our boats. But you know, when we got to the beach, she was an absolute wreck. She was, in, she was in shock. She was hyperventilating. She was just, she was terrified. And uh, I remember going up to her and giving her a hug and like apologizing because I'd been yelling at her the whole time because, you know, I, it was like a, if you don't get this right, the boat's going to get smashed on the rocks and you could drown. So I was just, just yelling and yelling. And when I got to the beach, I gave her a hug and, you know, she bawled her eyes out and, and I bawled my eyes out. And, you know, that was a connection that, that had happened that, uh, 
you know you don't you don't have in a normal relationship you don't get those ex- sort of experiences happening and they're the kind of experiences that that really show someone that you could you could be with that person for the rest of your life and and I guess that was a big part of this expedition was was figuring out whether this relationship was one that that I wanted to go into you know today's day and age there's so many people that get married and then a few years later have something big happen and then and split up and by that stage potentially they have a kid or they have houses and just create so much drama and you know I don't want that in my life I um I want to make sure that the person that I want to be with wants to be with me for for the same uh, same reasons and that that journey really proved that mm. so it's like a it's an epic uh, adventure of self-awareness but also uh of relationship awareness as well and is going through that that adversity and working through that as a as a couple and i think yeah you're right that so many people don't go and do hard stuff together that they just do they do easy things and then when something hard hits then it all falls over because they don't know how to they don't know how to manage it they don't know how to communicate they don't know how to respond to each other so sounds like an awesome adventure um but an even more awesome for all the other stuff that has come out of it for you from a relationship and and an emotional perspective and brando Mm. i'm fascinated by how you go about picking your adventures now like why do you choose to do the things that you do and do you have like a process that you apply so for your next adventure how are you going to pick that one you know, it's a, it's an interesting one. Like for my next adventure, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting question. And, and I, to be honest, can't answer it a hundred percent truthfully because I don't know where the process comes from. I wake up one day, I look at a map or, or someone says something and you know, this idea starts as a thought and then almost instantly it develops into something. I start like telling the people that are closest to me, Hey, I think I might do this. And then, you know, I suddenly, you know, a few days later, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then I just make it happen. I just go out. Like when I was in Greenland, I was telling everyone that I was going to go to Vancouver Island and paddle around it. And I don't know where the idea came from. I spent a lot of time in my head. So I'm sure it was floating around there somewhere. And when I got back, I called up Nio, who was traveling Europe with her mum at the time and said, hey, babe, when we get back, let's go on this big expedition. I'll plan it all and make it happen. So when you get home, we can just set off. And then I did. I mean, the the biggest question is is like, what's next? Uh, and it's always what's next because for me to for me to be happy, there has to be uh, uh, the next thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, I'm not happy with with the same. I'm I'm not happy with just the ordinary life. It has to be extraordinary. Everything that I do has to be extraordinary to both myself and, and to other people because you know that's what drives me. That's my passion is to inspire people. And ordinary doesn't inspire people, but but ordinary doing extraordinary, you know, now that's inspiring because it's relatable. I'm no different than anyone else really at the end of the day. Uh, Anyone can do the things that I do. It just takes a, a lot of resilience, you know, and a lot of hard work. And they're all natural traits that humans have. And we all, we all share the same set of emotions and skills on, on like a, a chemical level. But for me, I wanted my life to be extraordinary and so the next thing that I'm going to do is even more extraordinary than anything else I'm going to ride a bicycle across Australia (laughs) and yeah that's that's in a couple of months I'm going to set off and do that 
Nice, mate. That is uh, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> From where to where in Australia? From the most westerly point, steep point, to the most easterly point, straight through the middle. I'm going to take a, a route that I'm not sure if it's ever been done before, but you know, I searched Google pretty hard and haven't found anyone that has just because of some of the stretches of uh, like land that you have to cover are so huge and to carry water between between places that you can restock is you know it's one of those things that even the extraordinary mind would be like yeah that's that's crazy that's that's insane but you know they're the things that i love i love proving to myself and everyone else that the human body is capable of of absolutely anything but as i was saying in the beginning that that space between life and death you know, I know when to stop. I always know when enough is enough. So I go into things planned and prepared for the worst outcome possible. And, and that way, you know, I know that my judgment is never going to kill me. It's going to be something else, the environment or the people in the environment that are going to uh, lead to my demise. So I might seem crazy and, and unprepared, but, you know, I'm, I'm not at all. You know, I, I'm very good at what I do. I'm a professional explorer and this is what I've dedicated my life to. Mm, that is, that's cool. Brando, I've got some questions that I like to ask everybody, mate. Um, the first one awesome. is what, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and why was that uncomfortable for you? Sweet. Well, the last uncomfortable thing was, is asking my partner's dad if I can marry her, but don't, don't tell anyone just yet because this hasn't happened yet. Okay. Um, you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So nice. that, that made me really uncomfortable from like a, you know, it's just the, the emotion, the emotions are my, I'm not going to say weak point, but physically my mind is, is stronger than my body. And there's only been a few times in my life where my mind has, has taken over, but you know, my emotions, they're something that I struggle with and they're something that quite often will get the better of me and make me really uncomfortable. So that, that was the last time I felt uncomfortable. But other than that, uh, during Coast to Coast, a few, a few weeks ago, the Kathmandu Coast to Coast, yeah, I didn't get my nutrition quite right and I was really, really struggling on the run. I, I had back surgery a couple of years ago and whenever I do run without training, that that is always something that kind of starts to niggle and although it's not like a physical thing it's it's pain you know pains that that underlining factor with any uncomfortable scenario or situation that is always going to be what changes you it's the pain not not the fact that your body has stopped working it's the amount of pain that that action is causing or the amount of physical mental or or any other kind of stress that's in the situation Exactly, mate. What is the, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Well, I guess following on from what I just said before, it would be the natural progression of who I have to ask next. <laughs> but I think, you know, the journey across Australia is going to make me feel pretty uncomfortable just in the, the environmental factors. I've never really seen snakes, but I don't like the idea of them. <laughs> And um, spiders and, you know, that's, that's the type of stuff that is going to be underliningly dangerous on this journey. You know, I'm going to be prepared with my water, with my food, with all the things that I need to, to keep myself safe if something goes wrong. But I can't control if a spider bites me or I can't control if a snake decides to crawl into my sleeping bag at night or slither in, whatever they do. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that. That again is from a fear point of view. You know, the I can't escape fear. Fear is something that I live with, 
and fear is something that I overcome with with different things in my life. So the fear of the unknown is equally as scary as the excitement of the unknown. That's a cool way of, of putting it. Brando, we've, we've talked a little bit about this uh, throughout the chat, but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations? Head on. <laughs> Head on is the best way to approach any uncomfortable situation. You know, there's, there's no point in beating around the bush. You know, the more you beat around the bush, the more feelings of anxiousness that are going to fill you up and as soon as something gets the better of your mind you have no hope of completing it there's a point of no return in in any uncomfortable situation and people who have been to that place in their mind before they know what i'm talking about and and when you get there there's nothing anyone can say that'll pull you out of that rabbit hole so you know if you take a situation head on you're taking that situation from the highest point you possibly can which means that dark bottom point of the rabbit hole is way down here whereas if you have doubts you're only entering the rabbit hole just slightly above the failure point you know so i i go into any uncomfortable situation with total confidence that i'm going to finish and i don't doubt myself at all and if i do doubt myself i'll put it off to another day you know i and that's just that same uh, same thing knowing my limits if, if i have a doubt then there's, there's no, it's not worth it's not worth it I like to have fun and enjoy myself even in these uncomfortable situations but if I know that it's impossible then I'll save it till I know that it is possible mm, that's a that's a cool way to look at it uh, Brando a couple of more quick questions for you mate but uh, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with me and also thank you for going out there and exploring and, and documenting what it is that you do so that you can inspire other people to get out and do uncomfortable things. I, I really appreciate it, mate. Yeah, no, no, thank you very much. I think for me, everybody needs to discover themselves. I took it to the next level by sharing that expedition with my partner around Vancouver Island and discovering you know, each other on that uncomfortable level. How can you give yourself to someone if you don't know who you are or, or what, you're, what you've got to give? You know, that would be my biggest point of advice to absolutely anyone who's, who's going out there and doing things that make them uncomfortable. You know, don't do those things that make you feel uncomfortable because you've got something to prove to someone else. Do those things that make you feel uncomfortable so that you can learn about yourself and learn about what you do when you're pushed to that level, not how far you can go. Because, I mean, pushing yourself to a limit is only going to get you closer to that limit. And sometimes the limit's not where you want to be. But, but if you go into those uncomfortable situations to learn about the process and learn about what actually happens during that time, then that's when you're going to discover the most about yourself. Mm, I completely agree. Mate, if people want to find out more about you, if they want to follow along with your adventures, what's the best place for them to do that? You know, I, I share my, my stuff online on Instagram pretty much daily, um, which is just Brando Yelovich Explorer. But if you type in Brando Yelovich into Google, I pop up everywhere. And, you know, if you're still struggling, just type in Wild Boy Adventures and that's me, the wild boy. <laughs> Cool, mate. I will, uh, I'll throw some links in the notes for the show with that. But Brando, do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Oh, challenge. You know, this, this is a pretty generic one, but I guess my challenge to you would be to do something that makes you 
makes you feel uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be something big. Maybe you're, you don't like picking up the phone. You don't like talking to strangers. You, you don't like doing something that, uh, something that brings an anxiousness into your life. And, you know, go out and, and do that. But take baby steps. Don't just, don't just, like, make yourself really uncomfortable all at once. Just do little things that push you out of your comfort zone. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> there you have it, team. I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, make sure to follow along with Brando's expedition across Australia. It is going to be really interesting uh, and also really inspiring as well. For those of you who are interested in doing a little bit of coaching around getting out of your comfort zone, building mental fitness, or tackling an uncomfortable challenge, then I'm doing a wee bit of coaching with some people. I've got a couple of spots open at the moment, so reach out, get in touch. You can send me a message on social media or send me an email, uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Jylan for your awesome editing. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for your amazing musical interludes. And thank you guys as well for taking the time to get uncomfortable with Brando and I today.